Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics. On today's show, we've got our mailbag. Um, we asked for questions on Tuesday afternoon after our latest episode with Wisconsin basketball kind of being off until Saturday. We had some time to fill, so we thought it was a good time to take some questions um, in regards to anything uh, across the, the sporting world. we got a good amount of questions on uh, Wisconsin volleyball, Wisconsin women's basketball, Wisconsin men's basketball, um, a little bit of March Madness talk, actually not a lot of football talk, so you guys must have all your questions answered as we wait for spring football um, in that regard, but it should be a fun episode, we always like doing these and, and answering some questions, doing some things a little bit different than the normal um, schedule that we've got, so looking forward to getting into those, but before we do that, Matt, how are you today? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's going to be fun. A little quick shift. I know, like you mentioned, we've got a lot of uh, volleyball talk, a lot of women's basketball talk, and so I think this is going to be a fun, a little different episode than what we normally roll out on uh, later on in the week. Yeah, yeah. So let's get right into the questions here. We mentioned um, Wisconsin women's basketball and volleyball. We'll start there. I've kind of organize our outline to flow from those into uh, we've got a good amount of questions on the men's basketball team and then we've got some March Madness stuff so we'll, we'll kind of flow together and the first question comes from Matt Rock um, how does Wisconsin ba- women's basketball get a bigger football hold in regular sports calendars the Badgers basketball and hockey teams play during the same five to six month stretch men's hockey has tradition men's basketball and women's hockey have recent success women's hoops doesn't have either and attendance is largely made up of sweet holders that don't actually go to the game. And then there was a follow-up question um, you know, from Badger Math that asked, should Jonathan Sippus be fired due to the lack of success? And, and I personally, I guess to get into it, I don't follow Wisconsin women's basketball that closely, but I have seen how much the sport has grown overall across the country. I mean, you look at uh, women's basketball is, is getting a lot more recognition. Of course, it helps when you've got these historically strong programs like UConn and Baylor and South Carolina um, you know, making it a lot of fun. I think for Wisconsin basketball, you know, the other comments after that was was winning was the big part of it. Um, you know, to to win, to have success and popularity, you, you've got to win games. And I think Wisconsin is a university that should be able to compete with attracting some of those players, but you have to win games and and uh, you know have success on the court to to really draw attention. So I think that's probably the the cliche answer, but I think at the same time that's probably um, what you look to when you give when you look at Wisconsin women's volleyball is so strong. Wisconsin women's hockey is a powerhouse. I mean, every year they're dominant. So Wisconsin's got all the capabilities. It's just got to probably happen on the court and, and get some W's to to get that same level of success. Yeah, I'm glad that Rock brought up the fact that men's hockey, women's hockey, men's basketball, they're all going on in the same time frame. So it's hard for people to pack. The, the stadium to watch women's basketball when they're not being as um, effective as the other main three sports who have had wild success uh, across the board. I know the men's hockey team has struggled a bit here lately, but they're playing good this season. 
So I, you look at it, and it's it's hard to to really get the fan base all fired up about it. But you look at it right now, and I think that Sipsis is doing a really good job in recruiting, which is I think the most important thing. Um, and you, you look at some of the young talent that they've got on the team. They've they've brought in some transfers. They've they've improved the roster. They've got to do continue to do a really good job of recruiting in state to make sure that they're bringing in the best best players. I know uh, Maddie Wilkie's coming in, and she's really talented. We'll see about the whole injury thing, but I think the biggest thing is continue to recruit because that's what's going to win ultimately win you games and, and build for the future around Sydney Hilliard and Imani Lewis, who are both talented players averaging over 15 points a game each respectively. But now it's a matter of filling up the entire roster to make sure that you have players around them. Maybe next year is a better season when you have some of these young players that you brought in. And I know their last two recruiting classes have been really good, and you're adding in another really good recruiting class. Maybe they, that can give them uh, a nice jump to, to possibly shake things up next year because I don't think that Sipsis is a bad coach. There's a reason he did so well at George Washington before coming to Wisconsin. Now it's a matter of um, – changing things, getting in the winning track. And I think biggest thing is winning, not only winning, but winning in the Big Ten, which is tough. And his record inside the Big Ten is really bad. I think it's 12-59 and 59, uh, before this season or early on in this season. So it's a matter of trying to make sure that um, you can be competitive in the Big Ten, and um, that in turn will, will lead the fans, will lead to a bigger foothold in uh, in the – UW athletics landscape because right now they're competing against three really strong programs and they are by for by far uh, fourth on the list. Yeah, and, and I think that's a huge part of it is that these you know these other three teams that they're competing against are really strong teams. I mean they're they're really Wisconsin volleyball is super fun to watch. Both the hockey teams are fun to watch. You know, like you said, men's men's hockey has struggled in in these past few years, but this year they just seem to be a team that can score at will and, and they're really entertaining. So it's if you're not winning games, it's hard to, to draw those eyeballs. And and I think if Wisconsin can do that, I certainly think the the fan base around them would get behind them if they're winning games. You know, I, I don't think that there's a lack of interest there. It's just you've got to be competitive in that conference. And, and maybe they're turning around. I know they knocked off a top 15 team in Ohio State. Um, fairly recently, so that maybe there are things coming. You mentioned next year. I think there's certainly a possibility, but when you're going against three programs that historically are, are kind of powerhouses in their respective sports, it is going to be hard to compete if you're not winning games. So, um, but great question from Matt Rock. That was uh, one that I didn't expect to get a ton of, of volleyball and women's basketball questions, but I think they're all very good and, and fun ones to answer. So, moving on down here from second coming of Chris, you only have one libero on your team. Georgia Sipia or Laura Barnes, both of them are extremely talented, and, and I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm an expert um, you know, on volleyball. I know you don't want to let the ball land on your side of, of the court. I'm not, I don't know the ins and outs of volleyball <laughs> as well as I maybe do on the football and basketball side, but I think they're both fun to watch. I've watched you know over the last three years quite a, a bit of volleyball, probably not as much as most people, but they're a really entertaining team. I know Lauren Barnes has been there. Um, for quite a while, so she's got the experience, but you probably don't want to have to choose uh, if you don't have to. They're they're both extremely talented and, and make this team really fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's nice is you look at other teams around the country and they don't have two really good liberals. The Badgers have that luxury, and there's a reason that uh, Kelly Sheffield went out and, and brought in 
um, Geo. I think right now that they're both playing at a really high level, and there's a reason that they're both playing a lot of minutes. But I think if you had to pick one, I think you go with the person who's gonna who's been in your program for a super long time, has has grinded, mm-hmm. been able to switch a couple positions here, um, and and really statistically might be a bit better at this point, and that's Water Barnes. So I, I think both of them really, really good. I, I think it's crazy just because um, uh, Savita has obviously been in the, um, been playing volleyball for a very long time, um, given her injury history and everything. She, she's had to sit out a few years, but um, it is a bit older. But I feel as though um, Barnes brings something to the team that, uh, from an experience perspective, that really helps them out. Because she's been with this program for so long, she knows the inner workings knows uh, everybody in front of her and how they play. And I, I think, really, she is one of the best liberos in the country. So if, if I had to pick one, I'd probably go with Barnes. Yeah, I have to agree with you. You always go with experience. I know uh, we'll get into some experience talk with the Wisconsin men's basketball team here in a little bit, and maybe that tune will, will change in certain regards. But you always like to go with the person that has been with your program and, and knows your team. But thankfully for Wisconsin, they've got a luxury of, of having both of them, and that's making them look like – um, you know, really the most dominant team across the country. They're both in- incredibly talented and, and really fun to watch. So moving on down here, another volleyball question. Anuk1207 sent this one in. Do you think volleyball should play one game each year in the Kohl Center, kind of like hockey's fill the bowl, have it be a nice marquee matchup like Minnesota or Nebraska? They have zero problem getting, you know, 6,000-plus attendance. So not out of the realm of possibility to sell out the Kohl Center if it's a, a team like that on a on a weekend where I could see you know Minnesota traveling. So um, I think that's a great question. And personally, I liked all of you know Wisconsin you're kind of moving around and getting the bigger attendance. Like I would love to see hockey do um, some sort of outdoor game again, whether it be both the, the men's and women's programs set something like that up. I think volleyball playing in the Kohl Center to get more eyes on the team is is always good. The field house is, is Always pretty much sold out, um, especially for those marquee matchups. It's it's hard to find a, a seat in there when they're playing a big team like Minnesota, Nebraska, Penn State. So I, I personally would love that. I think um, I think a lot of you know maybe the casual fans that don't get to go to games. If you've got a few more tickets, maybe you can get some some people in there and, and draw more attention to the sport. So I think uh, it would be a great idea, and I'd love for Wisconsin to kind of get into some more of that uh, on, on the other sports side. Of course, football is playing. You know. In Green Bay and, and in Soldier Field, if they could do a little bit more of that uh, on the other t- other sports, um, I know money, of course, is involved with that, but uh, it would be a lot of fun for fans to watch, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think if they play it up and add some really cool um, things going on around the game as well for kids, I think that could um, help draw draw fans. I think it's a really good idea, especially if it's like your first game of the year where you're able to have people come in and get up and get autographs from the players, do all sorts of different things. I think people would love that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the, the other trade-off, though, is if, if you're getting 6,000 attendance-wise in the field house, you're getting 7,000, and it's, and it's going to be louder. So it's, it, it has its drawbacks, but I, but I love the idea. I think it would be a lot of fun, and I think people would enjoy it, especially if there are um, different things going on with the program um, maybe you're also bringing in and having uh, the women's hockey team come in and um, sign autographs for people after the game and before it, the, the volleyball team or whatever, vice versa, just to, to have it be a, a, a thing to celebrate women's athletics at UW and, and maybe make it uh, a bit bigger. I think then it would really put pay off and 
Um, that's another way for the women's basketball team to get involved. Maybe you have a doubleheader. There's lots of cool things that they could do to, to fill the bowl there. Um, or I should say similar to how they do fill the bowl. But I think having it be a, a huge event and as big as possible would be a really cool idea if it's going to be at the Kohl Center. Yeah, I, I like that idea a lot. And I think just see having fans in attendance at some point is, is of course, the first hurdle that you're going to get back to. But then, you know, to get to some of these fun, you know, weekend type events, I think would be a great idea and, you know, just draw more attention to the sport and, and each respective program. I think uh, it, it could do a lot of good for Wisconsin athletics to explore some of those avenues. Like I said, you know, you're seeing football doing different things. If you could do that on the other sports as well, I think it'd be a lot of fun and, and uh, um, something that, that maybe the in-depth fan would all, of course, pay attention to, but maybe you get some more of the casual fans that are just, uh, you know, in it for some, some fun weekends uh, around the Madison area. So, Great questions all around on the uh, volleyball, women's basketball stuff. Thank you guys for submitting those. Um, it's it's a little bit different for us, and it's always fun to, to talk about some of the other programs that we don't always get to um, on the show. So now we've got um, some of the Wisconsin men's basketball talk, and the first one comes with, I love this name, from Brad Norman's acting coach. For Wisconsin men's basketball, which seniors, if any, do you think might come back next year? And I added this part. Which ones would you want to come back next year? Because I think that's an interesting point. Of course, yesterday in the media presser, there was some talk about uh, Brad Davison returning and, and what their thoughts are. Greg Gard was mentioned or asked about it and mentioned that he's kind of letting the guys, you know, just enjoy this season and make their own decisions. So uh, what do you think? Who and who might come back next year? And, and which ones would you maybe want to see come back uh, for Wisconsin? Yeah, I mean, I think Brad Davison would make a ton of sense. He's he's a guy that I could see coming back. I also think Trevor Anderson. Um, you look at it, Davison didn't redshirt. Trevor Anderson had the knee injury. So those are guys that could come back, and they're going to need guard help, let's be honest. Next year, they, they with the status of Lauren Bowman kind of up in the air and the fact that they still only brought in one guard for uh, next season as well, you're looking at a, a pretty thin uh uh, backcourt. So I, I think Brad Davison would make sense. Trevor Anderson would make sense. Beyond those two, I mean, obviously you'd, you'd love to have Michael Potter back. I think that would be nice just because he is probably their best offensive weapon in the post. And they have a lot of post players, but they're going to be really young. And the, the um, back injury status of Ben Carlson kind of throws a wrench in that as well. So you look at it right now, and I think in an ideal world, um, Maybe Brad Davison comes back. Maybe Trevor Anderson comes back. It gets to your second question of do you want that? I don't know. I, I think uh, both of them bring a lot of experience to the team. They've had their fair share of struggles this year, more so Davison. Anderson now just with the injury status. So I, I think it, it would make a ton of sense for them to come back, and I doubt that Greg Gard is going to keep them away from the program if they want to come back. But but in the end, I, I think eventually – you want to turn the keys over here at some point to Jonathan Davis and say, hey, this is your team. And um, I, I think that gives you the highest ceiling, at least, is, given this roster. But but having Brad Davison back wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing, given his experience and the fact that you really don't know who's going to be your point guard next year, whether it be Lauren Bowman and Chuck, or Chucky Hepburn, and what does that mean for the two position? Yeah, I, I think there are, the answer is, I think it's two very different questions, but they kind of run and mesh together where, you know, I, I could certainly see the likes of, of Davison coming back. Trice, I think, is probably not going to. I think he's kind of hinted at that throughout the year. I know he hasn't flat out said it, but it just kind of seems like it. 
Um, you know, Aleem Ford is, is maybe a guy that, that could, but I, I doubt it. Micah Potter, you know, given his uh, eligibility issues last year, could be a guy that came back. And I think in terms of wanting someone back, you definitely want him. Trice has been uh, really good this year where you'd want him back as well. But, again, it just doesn't seem like that. So it really comes down to the two you mentioned, you know, Trevor Anderson, Brad Davison. I think I think Brad Davison definitely could return if who you want back. I think, I think it's kind of the same situation as football where there might be some conversations that need to be had about, okay, you know, I didn't. Nobody planned on this COVID year an extra year of eligibility, so it kind of threw a wrench in. You know, you you progressing. You know, throughout your recruiting classes that way. So maybe there needs to be a conversation with Brad Davis and say, hey, you know, if you're if you're coming back, that's great. But Jonathan Davis is a guy that's going to need more minutes if you're competing with those two over, um, you know, minutes next year and and you know, kind of not taking advantage of of Jonathan Davis's next year of eligibility and kind of wasting one a little bit more, that could be something that, that is a little bit of a struggle for fans to get. You know, Brad Davison has done a lot for this team and this program and played a lot of minutes, but looking towards the future, you want to get Jonathan Davis as much run as you can. So I don't think you could look Brad Davison in the eyes and say, you know, I'm going to guarantee you're the starter and you're getting a ton of minutes and, and things like that. And if he's cool with that, maybe that role and, and Jonathan Davis taking on an expanded role, then then great. But I think the situation, of course, you know, nobody planned for COVID, but it certainly threw a wrench in some of these, you know, progressions at certain positions. Football is the same way. We've we've talked about it a little bit with certain guys coming back and and maybe taking reps away from other guys. So it's it's a sticky situation. But like you said at the end of the day, they need guards. So having Brad Davison back is is certainly not a bad thing. But I think the the conversation is certainly going to be there on who is who's going to be getting you know the more of that minutes and that starting time because you want to play through Jonathan Davis. I think in the future here, that's the best you know step for your program moving forward. Yeah, but, I, I mean, you look at it, Davis plays the three quite a bit, so I think they'd be completely mm-hmm. fine. He and, and it really doesn't matter who's starting as long as it's playing minutes. I, I would assume, though, that if Brad Davison wants to come back, he's going to be playing a lot of minutes. He's going to be your starter at the two guard because, really, they just don't have anybody there. And I do think that Davis might be best for a small forward position that knocks wall, wall down to the four, and it allows you to bring in Stephen Crowell, Ben Carlson, whoever it might be at center. So, because I, I really just don't see Micah Potter coming back, but he would be a guy to possibly, like you mentioned, Trice for the redshirted. They they both went to IMG as well, so they're they're like they're uh, grandfathers at this point. I don't think they're going to be staying. Um, Nate Reavers really struggled of a season. Maybe he wants to to right some of the wrongs from this year and come back, but but really, I think those two guards are are um, real possibilities for next season, and I think. In the end, it would probably help UW if they did decide to come back in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's going to be interesting and certainly a conversation that seems to be starting to be had with, with some of these guys. Of course, you're getting closer to the end of the season. Hopefully, they can uh, string this out for a little bit longer once you get into the NCAA tournament. But after that, the, these conversations are going to be important to pay attention to overall. So, All right, moving on down here. Kind of a similar question from Wiss Sox fan 83 If no seniors return... How does Wisconsin look next year? Bubble team at best. And to look at that, you know, you've got you've got a I don't I don't know about bubble team. Um, you know, I think in college basketball there's so much turnover that, you know, there's historically, you know, there's there's the certain blue blood programs, but after that there's a lot of teams. I mean, sixty eight teams make the tournament. The Big Ten is is really strong right now where yeah, it would be a struggle probably next year given the, the talent that's in the conference, but I think they could certainly make a run 
um, depending on you know who comes back. In, in this situation, you don't have anybody. So you still got Davis and Wall. You've got some younger guys coming in for recruiting. So uh, it, it would be, I guess, a bubble team would be in the realm of possibility. Maybe they're you know a little bit higher than that. But what do you make of of the possibilities next year if the situation happens where none of these guys do come back? Yeah, I think you're going to have a really young squad that's going to be fun to watch because there is going to be so much uncertainty. They might end up playing a little bit different uh, brand of basketball than, than what we've seen here and been accustomed to, and, and people are just going to have to deal with some of the headaches that are going to come with that. But I, I do think that they'd still be a team that would be in the conversation for a tournament berth. So I, I know that like people will cringe at just like the idea that they would just be a bubble team, but at the same time, Bubble team means you're going to be in that potentially be in the tournament. I think they would sneak their way into the tournament, gain some good experience maybe next year, but but really expecting them to compete in the upper echelon of the Big Ten isn't going to happen. Michigan's going to bring back a lot. Um, Illinois and Iowa are going to lose a ton probably, but really there's still going to be some top teams in the Big Ten that are going to be good. I would anticipate them to to be almost similar to where they are this year maybe an extra loss or two uh, here or there. But next year, hopefully, that there's back to a regular um, preseason where you're playing some, some, some good teams out of conference. I know they got the Maui Invitational. So there, I think it would be a really fun year, and I, I think really there's going to be some growing pains. But in the end, um, I, I think you're going to see a lot more excitement around the team in a lot of ways just because it's going to be fresh, it's going to be new. Um, whereas we, we've kind of you get in a in, into a rut of knowing what this basketball team is, um, especially this year uh, since they they kind of haven't been living up to expectations. That there's you know people are poking holes in a lot of these guys. Whereas you, you look at it, Tyler Wall. I mean, there are definite holes in his game, but, and folks just love him and want to see him play because he plays hard. You're going to probably have some more guys. I mean, Matthew Morris and him are going to be like the Spider-Man meme, look, point at each other next year, and Morris might be just a little bit more physically gifted on the offensive end. But you look at it, and I think there's a lot of talent, but it's going to be really young. So I would anticipate, yeah, bubble team probably is, is the right way to put it in the end. Yeah, and, and hopefully they can kind of exceed that. And if not, you know, they're, they're still at least, you know, I think bubble team, yeah, it's a negative connotation, but at the same time you're still – hopefully working your way in there, and, and who knows what can happen. Maybe they come out, and like you said, they're a fresh team, um, younger, but and, and there's going to be some growing pains, but at least you're maybe seeing something different on the court than what we've had seen you know, these last you know few years where you're, you're getting so familiar with this team, and, and right now you know the struggles are, are familiar um, as you move into this college basketball season and move on down towards the end and of, of March Madness that way. All right, given um, – we've got another one from Wissox fan 83 Given the absolute transfer madness there will be this year, can a senior transfer to Wisconsin because of the whole year – extra year of eligibility thing? Do we still have a chance at getting the Housers? <laughs> Which I that, – that made me chuckle quite a bit uh, when I first read it and put it on here as well because I know Badger fans, when, um, when both of the Hauser brothers were working on transferring – uh, I know a lot of people were planning on both of them being in the red and white, and of course it didn't happen that second time. Um, so I, I I think Wisconsin certainly has a chance when you – it probably depends on who's coming back um, when you look at that conversation. Um, if you've got a lot of minutes and you're, you've got some things moving around where you know if none of those seniors come back and you need to fill a void, there's certainly that possibility. Um, but at the same time, Wisconsin – 
generally likes to look to it's got to be a perfect fit. You know, Michael Potter was a good fit in that transfer portal, um, which which ended up making sense. I can't see Wisconsin just going after anybody, um, just looking for minutes. But you know, of course, I think they're certainly open and, and could, but it probably depends on a lot of those guys and and which ones are coming back to see where you've got minutes and in which positions you you maybe got some some need for a player as you move forward. Yeah, I think I think the the big thing would be the status of Lauren Bowman. I think that'll ultimately decide if they look to this the transfer market to bring in somebody because I do think the 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 guard position is is the is the weak link for next year just based off of the fact that you're probably going to only have two point guards on your roster. You you saw Carter Gilmore get get minutes and he's he's a solid walk on from in the state that was really productive at Arrowhead, but I don't necessarily think that that's the guy that you want to be turning to um, this early in his career. Um, I think getting to the Hauser part, I I mean, I think the best thing for Wisconsin athletics is when the Hausers eventually go overseas and play basketball. So they're away from here. Um, But, but in all honesty, uh, I do think that there's a possibility of the Badgers reaching out to, and at least coming through the transfer market because they're going to need some help, especially if Brad Davison and Trevor Anderson don't come back, at least at the guard position. Yeah, I certainly could see them. You know, similar to Wisconsin football. You know, right now they're they're kicking the tires on certain positions where they feel they have a need. So it'll probably depend on which one of those guys are coming back. But if there's a fit there and, and Wisconsin's got minutes and, and a need for it, I could certainly see them going after someone in that transfer market. So. All right, those were the end of our comment questions. We'll do a couple. We'll do an ad read here quick, um, and then we'll get into some uh, questions we had submitted via Twitter and Instagram. So stick with us through a couple quick ad reads, and we'll be right back to the show. All right, so continuing on with our mailbag here, and, and the next question comes. Um, you know, these are all from our Twitter and Instagram, and, and friends have submitted some as well. And the first one: Why do you think? this Badger team hasn't had as much success as last year's. I think it's a great question. When you look at this team, you know, it's it's, very, it's pretty much the same team as last year. And last year they were, you know, had a huge run at the end and, and won the Big Ten regular season title. And, of course, everyone was excited to see what they could do in March. Unfortunately, never got that chance. So um, why do you think this Wisconsin team just hasn't had as much success as last year's team? Um. Yeah, I think I think there's myriad reasons, but um, I actually mentioned this a little bit. It might have been on the last show. I know I've mentioned it um, on on the radio on 1250. But I, I think the big thing for this team is you look at everything that transpired last year, and there was a lot of reason for them to come together. The Howard Moore tragedy, the whole Kobe King saga, and you saw that once once uh the Kobe King thing happened, they really rallied together, came together and played really good basketball the rest of the year. They had the entire offseason to to go ahead and really come together over the tragedy with Howard Moore and his family. And I, I think that that really helped them rally and, and, and win a lot of games because there was a camaraderie around it. You saw them playing fun, playing loose, enjoying um, that because it was it was an escape from, hey, this this person, this family that we're extremely connected to, um, is is struggling or is gone. And um, I think looking at it this year, you're not seeing the the joy. This team was away from one another the entire off season. Um, all of the seniors they weren't in the gym together working. Instead, they were back at home working out. You know, I know it's great because a guy like Demetrius Trice can work work out with his brother and he's getting a lot better in, in that, but it's still, you lose out on some of the, 
the the smaller things that really come about from being a team, really looking over and seeing the guy next to you working his tail off as well. So I think part of it is just the lack of camaraderie that they don't have this year. Um, I think that's really hurt them in a lot of ways, and it doesn't seem like they're enjoying it as much. It's been hard to live up to those expectations. But then I think the other thing is you look at it, and this Wisconsin team isn't that much different than last year. Obviously, um, personnel-wise, they're about the same. But if you look at the their home and away splits, it's their away splits are about the same. And their neutral site splits, they lost those games when, when they were in neutral site and they were 500 um, on the road. The difference was they were 15-1 and one at home, and their only loss was to Illinois by a point because Ayo Desumu just made a hell of a play late in the game. Whereas you look at this year, and they're 11-4 and four at home, so that's three extra losses at home. They're about 500 away. They're 5-4, and four, and they haven't had some of those neutral site games to, to play. So I think you look at it, and the lack of fan energy at home games has hurt this team. You, we've brought it up. That game against Maryland and the Cole Center, they probably win that game if you've got a full crowd behind them. That's, that's a game that they, you could tell that they were just – they needed an energy shot. Maryland was was just pumped up to be there, played really hard, but that that team was lifeless for parts of that game. And when the fans come in on a on a Monday night and and kind of pack the the Cole uh, Center, that that can make all the difference. You you look at that game against um, Ohio State. That's a Saturday midday game. That's usually when fans get up and it's a huge game, lots of energy, and they didn't have that. That same, uh, almost exactly a year ago at that same time, they had a game against Michigan State in mid-January, and the crowd propelled them to that win over Michigan State. And and really that changed their entire season. So I, I look at it and um, that oh, the Michigan game too, I completely forgot about the Michigan game. They weren't winning that Iowa game, I don't think. But the Michigan game, the second go-round, they, they did such a good thing at the, the first half that you have to imagine fans were going to be pumped second half and they would have – been able to help them at least keep it closer from eight to maybe win it. So I think the biggest thing is is just the off season, that how weird it was, their inability to be together, to to really enjoy it. It's so much effort just to be able to play the damn game because of all the COVID restrictions you've got to go through and everything. Um, but then add in the the home and away splits and how they've struggled away from away from the Kohl Center and sometimes in the Kohl Center this year due to lack of energy. And I think that's part of the reason we're seeing what we're seeing. Yeah, and I think part of it too is, you know, last year, like you said, maybe the expectations were a little little too high. I mean, you look at the team last year, I think we all look back to that end of the season run and how good they were playing then. But there were some struggles, some of the similar struggles that you're seeing this year in that team last year. I mean, those non-conference games uh, out in Brooklyn were were – really ugly. There were stretches of the season where they, they really struggled and played a lot like how they're playing this year. So I think part of it is they, they you look to expectations-wise, you look to what happened at the end of the year and kind of forget about some of the struggles early on in the year. But this team, while it's very similar to what they had last year, there was also some struggles. And I think that kind of gets forgotten about. But the the COVID stuff is, is all very true. I think Wisconsin basketball especially is a team that Maybe you're not as talented as, as all the teams out there, but when you have that home court backing that can really um, you know, provide some energy for you. We've talked to time and time again, this team struggles with energy. So I think that's a great point as well um, as you look to kind of the reasons why. I think it's a multitude of things. And 
Um, I think fans not being there is a huge part of it. I mean, some teams can, can get through that because they can win on talent alone. I mean, you look at a team like Baylor, it doesn't matter if, if they've got fans in the stands or not. <laughs> They're just such a good team, you know, top of their roster to bottom, that they can just come out and win basketball games. And Wisconsin doesn't quite have that. Um, in terms of player talent, so sometimes you need to survive off of that home court energy, and they just haven't had it, and the energy has been lacking all year year long. And I know everyone deals with COVID, and it's the same situation, but I think there's that's part of the you know a big chunk of why this team is struggling, and uh, we'll see how they finish out as the season rolls on. Yeah, I was going to add one other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned that end of the season where they won eight games in a row, and that was really, I think, in some ways kind of fool's gold um, for, right. for yep. many of us, us included. Um, and you look at it, they won five of those eight games at home, and mm-hmm. and their road wins were at Nebraska, a game that they I would hope that they'd win. Nebraska's really struggled. The win at Michigan was huge, right? Like that was a big win. Um, and then the other one was in Bloomington against Indiana, who also struggled last year for, for large chunks of the season. So this wasn't um, a team that had to step away from the Cole Center late last season and, and win huge games. But when they had to, they did win it. But the other games that they had to win, Ohio State at home, that was that was a game they could win. Purdue, Rutgers, um, Minnesota, Northwestern. So you're looking at the schedule-wise, the Big Ten's better this year. It's it's just better, and they didn't have to play some of the tough teams that they had to play earlier in the season last last year as well. So I think part of it is is just the nature of how seasons to seasons change, and um and all those extra layers that have been added on because of COVID and uh, everything else. All right, moving on down the line here. This question revolves around Jonathan Davis. You know, his uh, the question was his style and style of play and his turnovers seem to be a result of him pressing for minutes and being a little bit inexperienced. Is getting held back like that why Kobe King left? And I think that's a good question in terms of Jonathan Davis. I think for the Kobe King situation to you know answer that part, I think there's a little bit more going on there behind the scenes um, that that maybe we weren't aware of and, and were confirmed about. I can see the situation where there's similarities in terms of their play and in some of the struggles, but I think Jonathan Davis kind of knew the system that he was getting into, so I don't think it's anything like that. And, uh, you know, he's still a young player, uh, playing a lot of minutes for a team that, uh, for the most part, some of these seniors uh, have played a lot of basketball together, and now you're trying to mesh a young freshman in there. So I think there's a multitude of reasons. I wouldn't say uh, he's being held back, but uh, there, there's certainly I could see where you get some of those comparisons from. Yeah, I, I think um... – I get where that's coming from. I think that might have been a reason why Kobe King felt as though he needed to leave. Um, but I don't necessarily think that Jonathan Davis is feeling the same way. Jonathan Davis is a true freshman coming in, and he's basically playing starter minutes, especially lately. He's playing a lot. Um, you look at it, 11 of the 24 games, he's he's played over 25 minutes. He He's averaging um, – the fifth most minutes on the entire team above Micah Potter, above Nate Reavers. Like that's telling you just how important they see him, how many minutes he's earning. You look back at, at players such as Sam Decker. He didn't play nearly as many minutes when he was a true freshman. Um, and, and I think, I think it's really indicative of how talented they think he is and how valuable he is. 
because even at the end of the game, he's out there. Like he's the guy that is going to be out there because he can bring you something on defense and offense that nobody else can. Uh, just his ability to guard quicker, quicker, um, you know, whether it's a guard or a forward, as well as being able to slash and create his own baskets is, is something different. So I think the style of play might have led to a reason why Kobe King decided what he decided, um, which clearly hasn't necessarily proved to be the best option for him down the road, it's, it seems. But I, I don't think that this it, – it's an apples-to-apples apples comparison because Jonathan Davis is playing starter minutes, and, and whether it be off the bench or not, it doesn't matter. He's playing a lot. He's getting his opportunities, and he's taking advantage of them. So I think right now he's the best player on your team, and, and Greg Gard has talked about giving him more and more responsibilities in press conferences, he's talked about making it so that he's getting comfortable being the guy taking the last second shot when they need it to be. That's pretty telling of what they think of this kid and what um, they're starting to give more responsibility to him. And I think that's all that matters right now. And I don't see it as something that we need to worry about because he is talented. The Badgers know it. The rest of the team knows it. Every fan knows it. But at the same time, he's still a true freshman. And it's, it's a little different than Kobe King walking out as a junior. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that one as well. I think that was all uh, great points. You know, he's a, he's a young player and, and playing a lot of minutes, and I would expect over these last three games you're going to see even more of Jonathan Davis um, as, as this team tries to find some things to really get clicking uh, before March in the Big Ten Tournament and the NCAA Tournament. So now we're going to get into some NCAA Tournament questions. Um, the, the first one I think is an interesting one. How many teams do you think are legit Final Four teams? Seems like this season is very top-heavy but not super strong after the top four. And and I would have to agree. I was watching Alabama last night as the sixth-ranked team in the country, and that team is, is charm and soft in, in the way that they play. I've watched them a few times this year, and I was kind of sitting there going, there's no way this team is the, the sixth-best team in the country. So, of course, you've got – I think for me, you've got probably four. I mean, you could, you could do Gonzaga-Baylor – Michigan and Ohio State, that game that they played this past Sunday was phenomenal, and I think they both showed that they're legit teams. After that, I mean, Illinois is the fifth-ranked team. I think they could, but um, they're, so they sometimes can be a little streaky. Alabama, I don't think, is a Final Four team. Oklahoma just lost to Kansas State. You know, A team like Villanova relies a lot on the three-point ball. Anytime there's a team that um, you know relies solely on, on the three-point line, it, it sometimes can be a struggle for them to make a run. You know, a team like West Virginia, terrible at the free throw line. I don't think a team like that necessarily can, you know, do enough to get to March. I would think one other team that that I would maybe throw in there to make a fifth would be Florida State. Um, they play really good defense and, and can score from from all over the floor. So I'd say for me, probably five right now, unless I see something else from some of those other teams uh, down the stretch here. Yeah, I mean, in the end, you're going to have four of them. So, mm-hmm. but I, I think really. There is there is multiple teams that could weasel their way into it. I think you've got your top three that are surefire, probably, in Gonzaga, um, Baylor, and Michigan. But then you've got Ohio State, Illinois. I Like you, I think Alabama is kind of a paper tiger. I think Oklahoma is taking advantage of a, a, a down um, Big 12 in, in some ways. I, I know that they've got some decent teams, but – at the same time, I don't see any like elite level coming out of the conference. Whereas I, I still think Iowa could could do some nice things in there. I, I love your pick of Florida State. I totally agree with you. And Villanova and Florida State, we just haven't seen enough of them because they've had so many postponements this year. 
Um, and as you look at Villanova's schedule, and it's like half of it's just completely blocked off. Florida State, same thing. They've only played 16 games. So it's hard to, to know who, who are some of these teams that are in the, the five through like 12 range and what they could be. But at the same time, I, I think you've got your top three for sure. And then it's a matter of you got three Big Ten teams who are pretty damn good um, and, and some other teams who could pop up and, and play in big, in big moments and have good talent. Yeah, and I mean, outside, I think you look at it, there's, like you said, the top three are, are really good, and then there's a, kind of a whole host that, you know, I don't think you could guarantee them, but there's certainly a, a ton of teams that can make a run, even, you know, a team like Houston, Creighton, some of these smaller teams that don't get as lot as, as much buzz could, could make a run. So this year, if for some reason, you know, a team like Baylor or Gonzaga gets knocked off um, early on, which we have seen in the past with like, a team like Gonzaga, you know, they look really strong throughout the regular season and then, you know, drop uh, – NCAA tournament game that they shouldn't. So if one of those teams gets knocked off, I think this field could be really wide open and should make for a really entertaining March Madness. And speaking of teams that are going to knock them off, and, and probably you know if there's a situation, it's going to be a mid-major. So is, if you're hitching your wagon to one mid-major team to make a run in the NCAA t- tournament, who are you picking and why? And I'll, I'll let you take that one first if you've got a dark horse mid-major team that you've got your eye on. Give me Belmont, man. They they seem to always mess around with people. Uh, come tournament time, there's a, they're a tough squad. They've only lost one game. It was the first game of the entire year back in in uh, late November. So I, I I think this is a team that, or I mean, I guess early December, I should say, is it's a team that that's got good talent. They've got uh, the players to to be able to 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 make games interesting. I think um, they have the the um, future path or the past of showing that they can do it and they have guys who can who can score in bunches um and cross their entire starting lineup and off the bench with uh, a really good freshman with uh Jacoby Woods coming off the bench as well so I think you look at it they've got some really good talent they can shoot the ball they can get to the rim they've got size so I think they're a team that would be tough I know they're like hovering just out of the top 25 right now but they're a team that I think shouldn't be slept on when it comes to tournament time yeah, I think they're a really strong team, you know, and actually the the latest bracketology from Joel Lenardi actually has them as a 12 seed taking on the 5 seed Wisconsin Badgers. So oh, hell no. <laughs> you don't want that if you're Badger fans right now. Let me see. Uh, yeah, they've got him as the uh, them as the 12 seed taking on 5 seed Wisconsin. So if you're the Badgers, you want to win a couple games and probably get out of that because um, I think that is also the last I looked at it. They were in Baylor's region as well. So you want to oh, Nick Mazinski would just eat us alive from inside. It yeah, would be you, over. If you're the Badgers, you want to win a couple of these games and, and hopefully maybe move to a different region at least and, and get some of those other games. But it's going to be uh, yeah, they're a team that you definitely don't want to see in March. And and for me, um, I, I would pick a team like Boise State. They've been a strong team all year. Um, I've watched. You know, probably way too much Mountain West basketball. They got a lot of good teams out there, and in Boise State, they got a big one um, Thursday night with San Diego State, who's another really strong team. Um, they just you know, took both games against Utah State, who was leading the Mountain West. So both of them are really strong. You know, if you're looking for mid-major rankings, they do a good job um, out there on the internet of ranking um, some of these teams outside of the top 25 to kind of get a good read on it. Loyola Chicago, of course, um, in the past has made a really strong run at the Final Four. They've got you know Cameron Crutwig, who's been a guy that's been around for it seems like forever and really um, you know excelling and, and got his game better. He's playing really well. 
Um, Drake was a, a good team as well. They they kind of battled some injuries, which which maybe hurt them a little bit more. I'm not sure if they'll even uh, make it in the dance that way. But there's there's a lot of good mid-major teams. It's going to be interesting to see, and that's what makes March Madness so fun is is you finally get to see some of these teams um, in that mid-major realm taking on the the, the big boys and, and quote unquote you know top tier teams and, and usually knocking some off. So I can't wait to see what some of these teams can do, but. Um, if I had to pick one, I love the Belmont pick. They're a really strong team, but I'm going to go with uh, the Boise State Broncos to be a team that I think could win a few games and, and maybe knock some teams off that way. Like it. All right, our final question: Do you think the really do you think the Big Ten really deserves to get ten teams in the NCAA tournament? The conference is strong, but I don't know if it's that strong. And and over these last few weeks, I've kind of agreed with that. You know, uh, Minnesota and Indiana. Um, has been a team that it seems like every year Indiana is that uh, that team that is on the bubble and maybe getting by on status alone as a historically strong team. I don't know if they're a team that uh, re- really deserves to be in. They're on the bubble right now. You know, both Minnesota and Indiana are part of the last four in, and Joe Lenardi's latest release, Maryland, is part of the last four buys. So Minnesota and Indiana would be playing that play-in game. I, I look to it, and you know the Big Ten is really strong. I could see both of them, you know, getting in. I could see both of them getting out. And I'd say right now, Minnesota, when they're playing at home, is a really strong team, and, and I think could be a March Madness team away from home. I don't know if I see it in Indiana. I don't think I really buy into it as well. So I think there's certainly an argument that maybe the Big Ten is, is really strong, top heavy, but some of those bottom teams are maybe riding coattails a little bit, is a good way to put it, as you head towards March. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't necessarily think there's going to be 10 that get in there. I, I think you look at the schedule, you, you, Michigan State's won two in a row, and beating Indiana and Illinois, they've got a really tough schedule. So I know Wisconsin fans are going to uh, complain about Wisconsin's schedule, but Michigan State still has to play OSU and Michigan twice. So um, I don't think that, that, that they're going to necessarily be in a good spot unless they win you know, two of those games. But I think you're right. Indiana, I don't think they're a tournament team. I just you know, they don't have the consistency to go out there and play. They've struggled against teams that they that are of any value really. Um I think Minnesota has a much better case to do it, but like you mentioned, they're Jekyll and Hyde all over the place, home and road. So I think nine is probably the magic number because you'd have to imagine that um your your top four who are all in the top ten are going to for sure make it. I think Purdue, Wisconsin, Rutgers, they're all safe at this point probably. Maybe, and, and then Maryland, and then maybe one of those three between Indiana, Michigan State, Minnesota. But I don't think ten is necessarily what they're deserving right now. Yeah, I would agree. And, and Michigan State is, is certainly a team that could make a run here. They're playing uh, much better, you know, just knocking off Illinois. They've got Ohio State Thursday night. So, there's there's a lot of you know still I think in those those bottom four teams you know there's a lot that could still happen still a good amount of basketball to be played and you know personally I don't need to see Indiana in there over a team you know like uh, you know so, so the first four out right now is is Richmond Duke uh, I don't need to see that team work back in there but they're kind of coming up with that devil magic UConn you know James Booknight is a guy that you want to see in the tournament you know St Louis is a really strong team Utah State you know those are all teams that I think could you make a much better case than Indiana right now. So I would say nine is probably a good number, a fair number, you know, given the strength of the, the conference. And you look at the Big 12, they've got, you know, kind of hovering around seven right now. So for both of those teams to get in a good chunk, or both of those conferences to get in a good chunk is fair. Um, but I don't know if we need to see, you know, all 10 of them 
moving in there. But uh, the Big Ten, those last four spots uh, are going to be interesting to watch, and, and teams are going to really start to need to win um, some games here down the stretch and also in the Big Ten tournament. If you win a couple games in the Big Ten tournament, that can really um, bolster some schedules. We'll have to wait and see uh, what these teams can do um, once we get into March, and we're getting closer and closer. The excitement is is really building. I've been watching uh, March March Madness highlights on my lunch break these last few uh, days, so I'm, I'm ready to, to get into the Big Ten tournament and the uh, NCAA tournament. Oh, for sure. All right, guys, well, that wraps up our latest episode of the podcast. Thanks again, everyone, for submitting your questions. We always like doing those. Um, if you've got any other questions, feel free to send them in. We don't have to exclusively do it um, on mailbag episodes. If you've got something that you want us to touch on on the podcast, we're happy to do it. Um, so, as always, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back with you next week to recap Wisconsin's contest with Illinois. As always, on Wisconsin. Thank you.